Well, um, we're called to love the Lord and to know his love, which is so vast that it takes a revelation for us just to grasp how wide and high and long and deep is his love, right? That's the point. And the Bible says we're supposed to keep our eyes on Jesus, who's the author in the the beginning and the ending of our faith. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the ending, the foundation and the capstone. He's everything. So it says, listen, keep your eyes on Jesus. And that's what Hebrews 12 says, and, and run with perseverance the race marked out for you, but fix your eyes on Jesus. And then we all understand that we're supposed to take our thoughts and fix them on things above. Colossians 3, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above and not on earthly things for, you know, you know that you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Uh, and the, the simple truth of all of this is that the more connected you and I are to Jesus, the more peace and stability my life has. The less connected I am to Jesus, uh, the, the more unstable my life becomes. And so that's a simple truth. And, and, and uh, there's nothing I can do to change that. You can do nothing against the truth. That just is. We either accept that truth or we don't. If we either surrender to the truth or we fight against it. But if you are taking the time and the focus and focusing your eyes and focusing your thoughts and giving time and heart to the word of God, to spending time in prayer, to getting to connect with Jesus, then your life will be prospering with peace. If you are not, it's unlikely that you will be prospering with peace. So, the more I tend to look at the wind and the waves, the less likely it is that I end up doing what Jesus told me to do. Peter could walk on water as long as he was looking at the magnificent Savior who told him to walk. But the moment he noticed the size of the waves and the power of the wind, he began to sink. Now, especially when times are tough and the world is shaking, we especially need to run to Jesus to find refuge and shelter and anchorage. And uh, what a year we've had. Psalm 125 is the well-known scripture. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken. If you trust in the Lord, you're going to be like Mount Zion. And the particular aspect of Mount Zion that the psalmist is talking about is that you, you remain unshakable. As the mountain surrounds Jerusalem, so the Lord will surround his people. And in this season of shaking that we've all had, we need to take steps to find uh, this great king and to find our refuge in the unshakable God, to find anchorage in him that goes beyond the current set of circumstances, beyond the current emotion, beyond the current circumstances. We need to be anchored beyond that so that these circumstances do not get to determine how I go up and down. These circumstances don't typically tend to say how I'm feeling. These circumstances don't get to tell me whether I should be worshiping God or shouldn't be worshiping God, because I'm not anchored in these circumstances. I'm anchored somewhere beyond these circumstances. And that anchor holds me in the middle of these circumstances. Now, our moment right now as the church in this nation, in fact, the church around the world, is to find our delight in Jesus, is to seek comfort and hope and, and just solid refuge in his love. And what a year of shaking it's been. Uh, I, I laughed. I don't know if any of you, at, at the beginning of the year in January, there was this big thing in the news, watch out, there are killer hornets. Anybody remember the killer hornets? 
there was a big scene. The killer hornets are taking over, but the killer hornets got bumped so quickly. We never heard of the killer hornets anymore. They just got dumped, you know, because it was global pandemic, societal shutdown, economic crisis, racial unrest, political tension. Killer hornets disappeared in the mix of all that's gone on the rest of this year. And I don't know about you, but I don't remember a year that has this much challenge to it in terms of what is facing us, in terms of the ongoing wave after wave of here's another drama that you should, consist, you should think about. Here's another thing that could take you out. Here's a, another problem that we all face. A whole lot of shaking going on right now, right? So the question is, if God is shaking what can be shaken so that what can't be shaken can emerge then we need to get on his program and learn how to stop shaking when everything else is shaking. The scripture talks about that we have received an unshakable kingdom and we have also been created in a shakable realm. So we live in a shakable realm, but we have an unshakable kingdom. So I'm not saying it's just, ah, you just step in. I'm just saying we have to learn how to let the unshakable king and his kingdom inside of us hold us steady while everything around us is shaking. And we prove which one looms the largest inside of us when the shaking starts, because the scripture teaches those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken. So my level of shaking is an indicator of my level of trust in the Lord. Is that fair? Hebrews 12, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. So here's the question I have for you, because this is what I suspect. What if the shaking will only stop when the church stops shaking? People say, how long is the shaking going to last? I think the shaking is going to last until you and I stop shaking. Because if the people of God shake just like the people of the world shake, then there's something wrong with the church. Because the best way for the church to prove that they're the church is that when everybody else is shaking, we're unshakable because we know who we've believed in. So I suspect the shaking is going to continue until the church stops shaking. Because that's the actual point of the shaking. What's God doing? Does he hate it? Is it the sin of, of America? No. God is calling to the church, stop shaking, people. Trust in me. I'll bring you through. And the church will begin to arise in beautiful ways. So we come back to this idea that, <laughs> that shaking is a God-given opportunity to learn to trust in the Lord. To have hope as an anchor for our souls. A hope that is ultimately anchored in Jesus Christ who's gone on ahead of us and who waits for us. His kindness and his faithfulness are my shield and my rampart. I am anchored in him. And no matter what is going on outside me, no matter what is shaking around me, I do not put my eyes on them. I'm not giving my hope or my trust to these things. I'm not asking these things to be my refuge. I have his faithfulness as my refuge. He has never been 
been unfaithful. He cannot be unfaithful because he'd have to deny himself. He has always, ever, only been extremely faithful. So I put my trust and I take refuge in his faithfulness, not in the circumstances that are going up and down all the time. So this year has been sent, I believe, to teach us one single very important lesson. To find our anchorage, our strength in Jesus Christ. I like making pancakes. I'm a pancake guru. Just want to let you know. Most often when pancakes need to be made in our house, I'm the guy who does it. Because, let me explain, pancake mustn't be too thick and doughy. And it mustn't be too thin so that it breaks up. There's a perfect consistency to a pancake. And it can't be undercooked and it can't be overcooked. There's a thing. There's a certain amount of bubbles. It's, it's a thing. So if you're making a pancake mix, there is a consistency that is the stuff of you've got to feel it in your gut. You know, it's like you've got to... So when I make pancakes, I, don't, I never follow the pancake batter box that says this and this and then just stir it and that's it. No, 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 no. I add a little, a little of this and, and then I, the consistency has got to be just right. A little more of this, just a touch more of that. Now when, when it comes to the promises of God, we need to add a little bit to the promise. There's a, there's a, consist, there's a mix. Because the Bible teaches that when God makes a promise, you and I need to add a little bit of faith and a little bit of patience. A little faith and a little patience. And so when I go, because if you think God makes the promise, and between the promise and the time he fulfills the promise, there's about a second. That's very, very seldom the way it works, right? So there's a promise, and you go, woo, and we're all dancing the happy dance in the moment of promise, because you know you had an encounter with God. You know you heard the promise of God. You know that he's faithful, and he means what he says. And the, the, the moment of the promise is great joy, and then comes the, the peace of in between the promise and the perfection of the promise. Then there is this moment, and we have to add sometimes a little more faith to the promise mix, sometimes a little more patience. Some of you need to add a little more patience this morning, and some of you need to add a little more faith, because you stopped believing. Because the Lord promised you, and because it's been a long time, you started to stop believing in the promise. Well, I must have misheard. Maybe God didn't mean it. Maybe he's changed his mind and you stopped believing in the promise. And some people, I feel like this morning, the Lord wants to say, a little more faith back in the mix. And some of you going, I got the faith. He's going, a little more patience in the mix. Because faith and patience in the promise of God is, is the right way to go. Obviously, this must start with clarity on the promises that God has made you. But no matter how many promises God has made you, the scripture says they have all become yes because Jesus died to fulfill and pay for and, and, and validate and legalize every promise that God ever made for blessing has been satisfied in Jesus. But you and I need to say amen to it. So 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they have all become yes in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the one who paid for them and made them legal for you. Because 
You're in Christ. You're a co-heir with Jesus. Everything God has has been given over to his son. Every single promise of blessing God ever made is yours in Christ Jesus. And the amen, the so be it, the yes, Lord, I agree with this, must be spoken by you and by me to see that promise come through. So once I know what the promises of God are, once I know that Jesus has fulfilled them, it's up to you and me to say amen. So be it is what amen means. I want that because Jesus already paid for that. God has already commissioned that. And I'm saying, yes, I'm aligning myself with that. I've been promised this, and now I'm going to add my faith and a little bit of patience, and I'm going to mix it up and stir because I'm trusting God for that promise. Now, some people go, well, I'm not sure what promises are mine. Well, you can be certain. How about this one? You can be absolutely certain that the promises that God made to Abraham are all yours. Because that's what the Bible says. You're Abraham's heir when you came into Christ. Romans 4. It's not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. Abraham was made a promise, and the Bible says God made it by promise so that it could be received by grace and faith and not by his works. God set the mechanism for how you receive the promise, not your perfection, but your belief in his perfection. And so the God gave it to Abraham by a promise. And when Abraham believed the promise, God said he's righteous. He, he attained the righteousness that came by his faith and not by his actions. It's not to say your actions don't matter. It's just saying that the mechanism by which God has, has set it up so that promises get released into your life is through faith and patience. Galatians 3, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, the covenant that God made with Abraham, this is just for free, um, was, was a fascinating covenant because the covenant God made with Abraham contains no curses. When God made his covenant with the nation of Israel, Deuteronomy 28, there's 18 verses of blessing, and then there's like 35 blessings of cursing. Like, like if you, I mean, it's horrible. Actually, one day, just do yourself a favor. Go read the covenant God made with Israel. He goes, listen, if you guys disobey me, I'm, I'll, I'll strike you down. And then, and then if some of you live, I'll send enemies, and they'll kill you. And if you get away from them, I'll send the boils and diseases on you, and that'll kill the rest of you. And if some of you manage to escape that, I mean, I don't, like, it, it's horrible. And they had to say, amen. That's how they did. They, they, had to, they had to say amen to the covenant. So they would say amen to the blessings and amen to the curses. But God didn't make you an, a, an heir of the covenant of the nation of Israel. He made you an heir of the covenant of Abraham. And the covenant of Abraham contains no curses. The covenant of Abraham contains only nine major promises of blessing. And the Bible says, you're an heir of that covenant. So you go, I don't know what to say yes to. Say yes to these nine things. You will be personally blessed. Others are going to get blessed through your life. You will be blessed by other people. You, you, the Messiah, the messianic blessing was going to come through his line. You are going to be somebody who brings forth the Messiah. You're going to have a great name on the earth. You're going to have many sons and daughters, both spiritually and naturally. You're going to be blessed by the amount of land that I give you, and I'm going to give you safe pasture in the land that I promise you. I'm going to give you victory over your enemies, and I'm going to cause kings to come and bless you. 
I'll take it. I'll take one of them or all nine or because which ones you say yes to is up to you. But Jesus paid for all of those. That's just for free, by the way. So we learn we have to add faith and patience. We have to add faith and patience to the promises of God. Now, I want to take you to Hebrews 6. We're going to spend just a few minutes in Hebrews 6 because this is actually the message I wanted to get to. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love that you've shown him as you've helped his people and you continue to help them. I want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. Uh, what you hope for will be fully realized and it's going to require diligence right up until the very end. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. I want you to imitate Abraham, who through faith and patience inherited what God had promised him, right? So we know that if I add faith and patience to the promises of God, add faith and patience to the promises of God, because this is what the next verse says, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Now people swear by someone greater than themselves and the oath confirms what is said and it puts an end to all arguments. God basically swore an oath to Abraham. And when God looked around, you, you, I don't know if you, if you swore an oath. I had a friend and, if I, and I wasn't really sure he was I'd like, swear on your mother. On, you know, like you, you, like you, <clears throat> you had to say something that was sacred to him, and if he swore on his mother's life, then you knew he was telling the truth, because you, like, like that was a bridge too far. You know, you could lie up until then. And basically, Abraham, he, he says, he goes like, like, and God looks around because he wants to make an oath to Abraham, and the most sacred, the most awesome, the most amazing thing that God could find was himself. And so he swore by himself. He said, Abraham, I he looked around for something great, something holy that would really impress Abraham. And he goes like, I guess I'm it. He goes, Abraham, I swear this to you. I swear by myself. I swear this to you, Abraham. With an uplifted arm, I swear I will bless you. It was a big oath. It was the greatest of absolutes that God could come up with, the way you could tell God wasn't messing around. He swore by himself. God wanted his promise to be backed with a rich clarity. God didn't want Abraham wandering. God wanted Abraham to have a sobriety in his faith. He, he wanted him to know God will never go back on that oath. And why did God make an oath to Abraham? Why didn't God just say, Abraham, I've never, ever, in my entire existence, I have never once lied. He didn't do that. He goes, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll engage with you in a way that you understand. I'll swear an oath, sacred vow. I'll never go back on this. Now, when the, when the accuser came to Abraham while he was waiting with faith and patience, 
right? In the middle of the 25 years between the time the Lord promised him and the time he saw the promise, in the 25 years in the middle there, while he was waiting, the Lord, uh, the accuser would come and say, you know, God didn't really say this. And he goes, ah, but God swore. N- no. He, he, God swore by himself. He wasn't joking around. He, this was serious. He never goes back on a sacred oath. So we need to add faith and patience to the promises of God to see God's unchanging purpose. You have to catch this. God's purpose is unchanging. See, before time began, God had set in motion the eternal purposes of God, which the Bible says were accomplished in Christ. God had always meant for mankind to be in his extreme blessing and to become one with him. That was always his design for mankind. And in order to accomplish that, in order for somebody to not only create mankind but to redeem mankind, Jesus was already the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. The eternal purpose of God was always this road. So Jesus came and he fulfilled the eternal purpose of God and there is a dream in the heart of God and it is an unchanging nature. God is not going to go back on his dream for your life. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how badly you can mess up. God will not back down on his dream for your life. His son has already paid for every foolish act that you and I could ever accomplish because God's purpose is unchanging nature. His dream for your life will not be gainsaid. And he said, if his oath wasn't enough, when Abraham, he, God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to give you land. And he said, how can I know for sure? Kind of an impertinent question. God said, okay. Bring some animals, cut them. And then we'll make a covenant. We'll walk in the blood. That, and that was a common practice. You made a covenant. was the most binding form of oath you could make. Between two people, you'd cut a covenant, and the covenant was cut in blood. Blood had to be shed. And then you'd walk in the blood, the two parties, and you were saying, if I ever break this covenant, I, you can kill me like this, this blood that is shed. And so that's what they did. And God said to Abraham, cut up the animals, and he did, and he watched all night. And then right at, as the sun's going down, God puts Abraham in a deep sleep and a, a, a smoldering wick and a fiery furnace pass in the blood. Father and son pass in the blood. God makes a covenant with his own son while Abraham is fast asleep. And he makes a covenant with Abraham. And so this is very interesting. Now, God has done two things for Abraham and he's done two things for the heirs of Abraham. He said, I swore an oath and I cut a covenant. Why did God do those two things when he could have just said, I'm going to bless you? Because God wanted you, he wanted Abraham, but he wants you to be absolutely convinced that he means to pour out his blessing through your life. See, some of you have been so far in religion, you can hardly even believe that. But God said, if I swore an oath and I cut a covenant, they'll be absolutely sure that I'm not going to change my mind. Let me read it to you. Hebrews 6 verse 17. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear. God wanted to make something very clear to you. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature 
of his purpose. His purpose will never change. God wanted to make it clear to you, my purpose will never change. Who did he want to make that clear to? To the heirs of what was promised. That's you. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. He did this so that by two unchangeable things, an oath and a covenant, in which it is impossible for him to lie, we who have fled to the cross to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. Understand, please, that God's purpose in his unchanging nature, he means to bless you with a great blessing, and that blessing is found in Christ. And he wanted you to be absolutely sure of that, not in any doubt. He wanted it to be very clear to you where he stands on this matter. And you can hear the doubter saying, well, I'm not really sure God means to bless us. But look at all our sins and weaknesses. And God is standing over here with an uplifted arm from the oath that he made and the blood and the body of his son which forms the, the basis of the covenant he made for us and he's standing here with an uplifted arm and the blood of his son and he goes no really I'm serious about this now we need to let that be the anchor for our souls because this is what Hebrews 6 says we have this hope as an anchor for our souls firm and secure it enters into the inner sanctuary, into the holy of holies in heaven, behind the curtain, where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become our high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Our hope is anchored in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is currently seated. He's not even trying. He's not even working. He's already finished the work. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Our anchor goes right in behind into the most holy place. It's anchored in the Son of the living God, who, by the way, is the only one who's been entrusted with all judgment. And, by the way, he's the only one who paid with his blood so that you can be washed clean, so there is no judgment for you. And, by the way, he's the only one who's been appointed the eternal high priest who's always interceding for you. That's where your hope is anchored. You're anchored in that place, and he says, we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. So it doesn't matter what's going up and down. It doesn't matter who's doing this or that. It doesn't matter which politician is currently in the news. It doesn't matter what's being exposed. I'm not anchored in these things that are going on. I'm anchored somewhere else. I'm anchored in the holy of holies, and so are you. And God wanted you to be absolutely sure, so he said an oath, and he cut a covenant with you. Because he doesn't want you worried. He doesn't want you in any doubt. He doesn't want you going, I wonder if God loves me. He wants you to know. Now that hope is an anchor for your soul. I'm not anchored in this world. I'm anchored in heaven. I'm anchored to a faithful savior. The beloved of God. I'm anchored in his victory there. I'm anchored in his holiness. I'm anchored in his forgiveness. I'm in, anchored in the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm anchored in his atoning sacrifice forever. I'm anchored in his eternal intercession as my high priest. I have this hope as an anchor for my soul. 
And so I say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? In these times of shaking and uncertainty, God's people should look remarkably different from our unsaved neighbors. You and I should go out in joy and be led forth with peace. And when everybody else around us is losing their head and blaming it on us, they will be amazed at the peace and the stability they find in the church. This is God's plan. What an amazing opportunity for the church to shine when everybody else is not. What an amazing opportunity for the church to be the safe place that everybody runs to when everything else is shaking. Why is God shaking this? So that the church can shine. While we sail the same stormy seas, we have an anchor for our souls, which goes right into the throne room, in a seated Savior, in an unbreakable bond, in an eternal covenant, under a sworn oath that says, I will surely bless you. So here's three things I'm suggesting you should do. Number one, stop screaming, moaning, and complaining. If you run around screaming, we're all going to die. That's not a good testimony to somebody who has an anchor for their soul. Stop that. Be careful what you allow to come out of your mouth. You know, Jesus said when, when you're facing a mountain, don't start digging. Jesus never said dig. He said speak. Speak to the mountain. He didn't say start making it smooth so you can build a road over it. He didn't say tunnel through it so you can build a bridge underneath it. He said speak to it. What you are saying right now has power to create. Stop moaning and complaining. Start speaking out bold, faith-filled proclamations. You know what I began to say from the first time that COVID hit? I said, we are going to be better off as a church because COVID hit than we would have been if it hadn't have come. Our finances went up. A large portion of the church lost their jobs and our finances went up. We, we went back into services. We had 15% of the people who'd never been, they joined during COVID. The first time in the building. 15% of us. God, what comes out of your mouth, what you believe and you let come out of your mouth is power. Stop moaning and complaining. Start confessing some beautiful things. Number two, find Jesus. I don't care how you do it. I, I just go find him. Seek him out. Spend some time. Cut social media. Whatever time you were spending on social media, well, I just, I just, just an hour a day. Would we'll just spend that hour a day with Jesus. I promise you, you'll be healthier. I promise. Just cut out some TV time or some, something else. Just go and find Jesus for you. You and Jesus. Go and worship in his presence. Just connect with him. Say, Lord, just spend some time with him. Find Jesus somewhere. Three, watch and listen to him. I was amazed. I went to the Lord. I was all, like, like I'm, I'm here to pray, Lord. What do you want to week? And he goes, uh, I'm praying for peace. 
Oh, he's about peace. Because, yeah, pray for your leaders so we can live peaceful lives. So I'm praying for peace. I said, okay. Well, I guess I'm praying for peace then too. I just went to spend some time with him and saw what he was doing and listened to what he was saying. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I'll do that then. Number four, enjoy the ride. This is going to be one of the most fun seasons. I know know it's all, you know, the storm and there's lightning and it's all. I'm telling you, if you keep your eyes on Jesus and you listen to what he's saying, some of us are going to be running around on the water. Some of us are going to see some miracles. Some of us are going to see the storm bow the head and disappear. Some of us are going to have fun in the middle of this. This is a moment for the church. I I, I tell you a truth. I'm telling you a truth. Greg, I don't believe that. I'm telling you the truth. We're about to see some beauty in the middle of the storm. Some of the best things happen to disciples in the middle of storms. Jesus came out walking on the water. Don't you care if we drown and go, be quiet. It's time. I'm going to ask Michelle to come up because she had, a, she had a word just in closing that I thought was just so, so perfect for the church and so I'm going to ask her to just share that and then we're going to close in prayer. Yeah, I was, re- I was reminded, I was praying for you guys and I was reminded of a word that I shared with you in February of this, this year and it ties into what I want to share with you but I felt like the Lord said, the Lord's promise to you is that you will be distinguished by the manifestation of his presence. By his favor on you, this is a season of rest and fruit. Praise God. And this morning we witnessed some of the beautiful fruit that the Lord's bringing. And, And then he said, the Lord says, I will make all of my goodness pass before you. The Lord says, goodness is knocking at the door of DCF. Swing wide the doors and let his goodness in. Because of my presence here, more and more of my children, my bride, will know that I'm a good father. And so I was just reminded of that, that there's a, there's a call on you guys to demonstrate the goodness and the manifestation of the Lord's presence. And you can feel that in this place during worship. It's just beautiful, the presence of God. And so I asked the Lord, what, what are you doing right now in, in this time? And I felt like he said, DCF is a watering hole where people can come and drink of the Lord's peace, of his hope, of his faith. A tired community will come and be revived here. True refreshing only comes in the presence of the Lord and in his goodness. So I thought, oh, Lord, you spoke about that in February, and then all this stuff happened. But the Lord said, I've called you to be a watering hole, and you cannot be that without his presence and his goodness. So he's marked you with that, and that's why people will come and drink here. And I felt like he said, um, people will, some people will come and they will stay because of what they taste here. But in this season, some will just come to drink and then they will go on their way, like, like kind of like a pit stop. They'll come here and they'll, they'll drink and they'll keep moving. And, but I felt like the Lord said, both are good. Both are good because it's an invitation in the spirit that the Lord's sending out from this congregation, from this church. There's an invitation in the spirit for people to come and drink deep of the love of God. So God's called you to be a watering hole. It's what, it's what you are right now in, in this season, and, it, and it's good. And, you know, as you meet, whether it's 
three of you or 20 of you or 100 of you, it doesn't matter. You know, you're here and the community will come because you're here and many will come and drink. And, and I think some, I know that there's also people listening online and I feel like even some leaders are going to be listening and I think what's coming from here is going to shift things in, in different places. So you're ministering not just here, but you're ministering to the broader body of Christ and you have this opportunity to do that in, in this time. So Father, we just thank you for the refreshing of your presence. We thank you for the manifestation yeah. of your presence in this place. We thank you, Father, that for the goodness of God, Lord, that flows from these doors. And Lord, I thank you, Father. And just declare in the spirit over this place, over, over Dothan, Lord, Father, that you've created a watering hole. Father, you've created a place where your people can come and drink and be revived and be refreshed. So, Father, we call in you, the, the tired. Father, we call in, Father, those that are parched, Lord, those that are thirsty, we call them in yeah. to come and drink of your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. I want to close this message with this um, call. I think there are some people that uh, the Lord wants to do something beautiful for you. Um, there are some people here that needed to add a little faith to their mix. Maybe you lost sight a little bit of the promises of God. Maybe you Maybe just life has beaten you down and the pressures have got too long and too hard and you've said, I'm just not going to believe God. God's going to do whatever he's going to do and it's not it's got nothing to do with me. I'm just going to be here. God knows where I am. And I understand that. I've been there a few times in my life too. But I just wanted to encourage you. I wanted to dare you to just today, maybe the Lord wants to whisper a little bit of faith back into your heart and say, Lord, I'm trusting you. And maybe you're going to let a little bit of that faith come out of your mouth in confession. I'm going to trust you for the promise. No, Lord, your promise is true. I'm actually believing you for the promise. I'm not letting that one go. And I just feel like some of you, that's it. Because I think um, this message, I, I preached little bits of this message a number of times. Here. Every time I said to the Lord, I've already preached this at DCF. I, they, they know this. And he was like, no, no, we, we need to. I want my people to know that I'm absolutely set on prospering and blessing and favoring your life. I want you to be came that you can have life with a capital L and I'm still there so I just wanted to pray for anybody who in your heart you don't have to stand up or anything you know who you are and the Lord knows who you are but you if you were just there to say Lord I'm gonna believe because in the backdrop there is a God with one arm raised in an oath and one hand showing you the the body and the blood of his son so much he loves you that's so how much he cares and that friends, will never, ever change. I have loved you from everlasting. Everlasting that way to everlasting. That's what the scripture says. God's always loved you. He's never going to change this. So Father, we come to you and we dare to look up into the beauty of a God who has bound himself to us in oath and covenant. And Lord, you said, I swear I will bless you. And you sent your son, whose body and blood stand forever as a testimony that how we know this is what love is. So Father, we just come to dare to say, this morning, Lord, I'm going to shake off unbelief. This morning, Lord, I say, I just dare to believe that your goodness is going to be made manifest in the circumstances of my life. 
I say yes and amen, Lord, to your blessing. I say yes and amen, Lord, to your promises of me. And I trust you, Lord, for a supernatural breakthrough now. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thanks so much. It's been a delight to be with you guys, and we're looking forward to seeing you again and how the Lord does what he's going to do. Thank you so much for um, joining us this morning. And we would just like to let you know, if you're in person, in-house, and you would like to have prayer this morning, if you'll just stay in your seat, or if you'll actually raise your hand and let us know, we'd love to come and pray for you. If you're joining us online and you would like to have prayer, um, whether it be related to this message today or anything that you just need encouragement or you need someone to come alongside and walk with you in a time and a season that you may be in, we would love to hear from you. You can send that um, information to dothancf.com slash prayer and um, one of our prayer ministry team members will be in touch with you. So thank you so much. We love you. Have a great week.